I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome in to the Hoist the Colors podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Igo, the publisher of HoistTheColors.net, also the host of the HTC podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in. It is Cincinnati week. The bye week is over. It's time to turn the page to Bearcats Pirates. Friday night, 8 o'clock Eastern time in Nippert Stadium. It'll be a big one for both programs. Conference championship ramifications. ECU has played its way into this position. Cincinnati in a scenario where they're pretty familiar with as a program. They've been one of the top programs in the league, but they're up against it as well. They have to beat ECU on Friday night, or they're probably going to be on the outside looking in. So a huge game for both programs. Should be a big atmosphere inside Nippert Stadium on Friday night. We'll dive into Cincinnati, what to expect from this football team, we got a lot of your questions on Twitter, which will help carry me through the show. Just want to start off the podcast with a couple of notes. First, the game time for the Houston game has not been announced. As you guys probably know by now, it has been placed on a six-day hold. Usually it's announced 12 days ahead of time. But as you get later into the season, really TV wants to make sure they've got the right matchups in the right slots. And this is kind of an awkward deal because it's on a six-day hold. The other two games are UCF and Navy and Temple and Cincinnati and then, of course, ECU Houston. So those are the three games. And according to the Houston Cougars website, the three time slots or the three potential places these three games could land are A, 11 a.m. Eastern time on ESPN2, B, 4 p.m. Eastern time on ESPNU. Or the third option would be, the I guess, the least attractive matchup would be on ESPN Plus at basically whatever time the home school wants it to be. So from talking with people, if for some reason Houston ECU gets selected for the ESPN Plus game, you'll most likely see a kickoff time mid-afternoon, maybe in the 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock range, probably 3, 3.30 um, 2.30, somewhere in there. Somewhere where fans can attend, but also it's not too late into the night, basically to get max attendance. So that would be the positive of having the ESPN Plus matchup. Now the negative would be, that would likely mean an East Carolina loss. Uh, I, I don't know, you know, I, I've looked at this several ways. You know, you look at it, I, I would say if ECU wins at Cincinnati, there's a good chance that they would be picked for the 11 a.m. game. And I say this because 
you look at the three games, you know, Navy UCF is probably going to get some eyeballs because you have the, the Naval Academy, obviously, big fan base nationally. A lot of people have been in the Navy or have family in the Navy, so they, they watch those games. UCF, especially if they win at Tulane, will be ranked. The game will have significance. You know, if Cincinnati beats ECU, they're probably going to be ranked going to Temple. Anytime you've got a ranked team, it's a worthy national TV game, say in ESPN2 or ESPNU. Um, if East Carolina wins at Cincinnati, there's a very strong possibility they could be ranked, potentially. They definitely will be right on the outside looking in. And certainly at that point, the ECU-Houston game would probably be more attractive than Cincinnati and Temple because the Pirates would be ahead of the Bearcats in the standings. Houston will be up there in the standings as well. They played Temple, I believe, this weekend. They're probably going to win that game at home. So, you know, you look at it from several different vantage points from the standpoint of ESPN2, despite it being at 11 a.m., that's probably the game TV wants most. Yeah, you've got game day going at that time, but that's the most attractive TV time slot from a TV perspective. No other game is going to be on at that time. So they're going to take the most attractive game that's going to get eyeballs. I assume that would be East Carolina-Houston if ECU wins at Cincinnati. If if not, then you know UCF-Navy could definitely be up there as well. And then Cincinnati Temple could be a potential game if the Bearcats are ranked, and you know you have that road team going. You know, anytime you got a ranked team going on the road to an underdog, that's typically a you know an early national TV kickoff. So that could be the the slot for Cincinnati Temple as well. They also have no home crowd, so it doesn't really dictate that. But TV is going to pick who they want to pick. I would say definitely the ESPNU game is second in line. So. There's still a chance if ECU loses, they could be picked for the 4 o'clock game because I just don't really see a scenario, unless I'm way off on this, where Houston-ECU is the you know, the worst of those three games as far as being picked. I guess if UCF wins at Tulane and Cincinnati beats ECU, maybe there's an outside chance, but I would think it'll more or le- less likely be 11 a.m. or 4 p.m. Um, the good news is if ECU does lose and, and there's a – you know, some type of slot for the ESPN Plus game. It'll be a, a good game time. So there, the fact of the matter is there will not be a night game inside Dowdy Ficklin Stadium barring something crazy on, uh, on on November 19th against Houston. So there's your first housekeeping item. Housekeeping item number two. I always forget to mention it because we got so many people who listen to this podcast who aren't subscribers to the site. So first off, I appreciate you guys for tuning in and listening but uh, if, if you're not a subscriber, definitely want to recommend just always check out hoistthecolors.net. Of course, we've got a lot of free content that people enjoy. We post that to all our social media channels. But we're about to hit recruiting season. We got a, a ton of recruiting nuggets up already from this past week where coaches were on the road scouting targets. We're going to have visit season where guys are going to come in, especially for the Houston game. We're going to see a lot of recruits coming in as the Pirates try to close out the 2023 class strong. So keep an eye on that. Again, all that is typically under VIP, so I, I can't recommend enough to, to check it out. Hoistacolors.net. Give our premium subscription a try. I don't think you'll be disappointed, and you can always get in on a deal. Right now, we're running 30% off an annual subscription. We're always running that deal, and we're always running $1 for your first month. So, hey, you can sign up. You can pay $1 for your first 30 or 31 days. If you don't like it, cancel at no further cost. Uh, if you pay the annual price up front, you get a better deal long term. So if you want to make that commitment, we obviously welcome you. But we're now, you know, over 
1,250 subscribers, uh, thousands more free members, so definitely check us out. Um, you know, with the program taking off, with basketball season starting, recruiting season hitting up, uh, I think it's a great time to join if you've kind of been on the fence. And then I'll also say, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, we we off podcast we also often run specials for uh, subscribers, new subscribers, and I would be on the lookout, especially going towards December, late November, Black Friday. If you want to hold out a little longer, I would say that would be the time if you're not a new subscriber or if you're going to be a new subscriber to look at that, circle that. Uh, we more than likely would be running the deal then. You know, I don't want to give away too many secrets, but just based on my knowledge with 24-7 sports, how we've done things in the past. So a couple of housekeeping notes there. Uh, we've got your questions coming up on Twitter. You know, a lot of people have asked me, how good is this Cincinnati team compared to last year? Look, it, it's not, they're, they're not as good as, as last year. They're not dominant. Um, last year, they were dominant. They had two NFL corners. They had one of the best corners in the NFL right now, Ahmad Gardner. They could basically play man coverage and shut you down defensively. They were elite. Um, they still are very good. Don't get me wrong. And they are elite at home. 31-game home winning streak. ECU is about to walk into inside Nippert Stadium, and they, they historically play really well at night under Luke Fickle. They have not lost a home game since. Five years ago, five years ago and one day come Friday, when they lost to Temple in 2017 when Jeff Collins was the first-year coach. Luke Fickle was also a first-year coach at that time. They went just 4-8 and eight this season. They've had double – or that season they went – they've gone double-digit wins every year since. As Fickle has built one of the premier programs in the American, you lose nine draft picks, several other graduates, some undrafted free agents, and here they are 7-2, and two, you know, pretty close to beating Arkansas, a play away from beating UCF, so – this is the team that's very capable. I will say, I think ECU is just as good in several areas. The only difference for me is the Bearcats are playing at home, but I do think that's neutralized a bit with ECU having extra time to prepare uh, and, and Cincinnati coming off a short week. But, you know, I just think this game is honestly going to come down to turnovers and who executes better in key moments. We've seen so often ECU versus BYU, ECU versus Memphis, those two teams pretty evenly matched from a talent perspective um once you you know the sum of the parts and i think this is going to be another matchup that's very similar who can make those key plays who can avoid the big mistakes will most likely win this football game on friday night and be very much into the conference championship mix uh they have a very good passing attack their running game has taken a major hit this year they lost of course desmond ritter who was a big part of their run game ben bryant is a capable runner but not as dynamic as ritter Still a very good passer. They got several good receivers. Uh, no, no longer have Jerome Ford. Run blocking has been somewhat inconsistent up front. But pass protection, throwing the football, they have not had an issue with for most of the year. Uh, so that's a concern going into the game. Defensively, their secondary is nowhere near as good as last year, but their pass rush, their defensive front, still extremely, extremely good. They got two defensive tackles that absolutely get after you. They got a linebacker. Ivan Pace Jr., the transfer from Miami of Ohio. His brother was already in the program, and uh, he's special, man. They got this guy already has like 95 tackles. He's got an elite 93 pass rush grade. He's strong in coverage. He's got 42 pressures in nine games. 
So they send him on blitzes. They do a little bit of everything. Um, he's just he, he's going to be a problem. They're very good up the middle defensively, so this is going to be a major challenge for ECU's offense. They can move the football if they can get Holt Naylor's time. This, this secondary is more vulnerable than last year. You look at some of their numbers. Uh, they moved one of their guys who was in the slot in the past, Arquan Bush. He's now playing outside the numbers at corner. He's had some some up-and-down performances. Jaquan Shepard, another starter at corner. He's given up some big plays this year. Uh, their new slot cornerback, Taj Ward, has had a good year, and their safeties are pretty good. But they certainly are, are not as impenetrable as they have been in the past. So I do like the fact ECU should get some matchups. Uh, and then, of course, if Keaton Mitchell can break one in the run game, that would help because they're pretty good. Stopping the run from play to play. All right, let's get into your questions. We'll circle back with more in this preview if we uh if we need to to dive further into Cincinnati we'll have another podcast up before I head to Ohio on Friday morning uh keyboard monkey he says how does the Cincinnati team compare to the Cincinnati teams in the past how significant are the pieces who have left the program between last season and this one is this the most beatable Cincinnati has looked in the last five years um so you know I, I just kind of addressed some of that I think the biggest difference is the lack of shut down man corners now they'll still challenge you they'll still play man but you know they're not going to be able to just stick sauce Gardner out there on the on an island and and let him shut down your best receiver like that just isn't part of their defense anymore because he's no longer there those guys only come around once every I don't know 20 30 years maybe if that um, at a place like Cincinnati so you, you just can't replace that type of dominant cover guy so yeah, that's a big drop-off. Again, defensive front, good. Linebacker, still very good. Still very good against the run. Much more vulnerable versus the pass. Special teams-wise, their kicking game is excellent. They got a good kicker. They got a really good punter. Um, so that's a concern because I think that's an area where ECU has struggled consistently this year in the kicking game. You know, offensively, Ben Bryant, passing-wise, I think – not a ton downgrade from Desmond Ritter, as I just mentioned, but certainly a downgrade uh, overall when you factor in the complete package. And their offensive line actually returned a lot of starters from last year, but they've been a little more inconsistent. They also don't have Alec Pierce, the big physical receiver out wide. They got a couple of guys with speed uh, who can beat you deep. They got some different weapons. They still have the tight end, Josh Wiley, but they don't have the complete dominant team they had last year. And there are some vulnerabilities here, especially in the pass defense and in the run game offensively, whereas last year they had all of that. Definitely the most beatable Cincinnati team ECU has played uh, in several years. All right, Saturdays in Greenville, he says, saw 40,000 estimated currently for the Houston game. Are they expecting 10K more with a win? Game time impact should be minimal, question mark. Um, I, I would say game time impact. It's fairly significant. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I'd put, let's say, 11 a.m. versus 4 p.m. I mean, that could be the difference in four to five, maybe four to five thousand is a little aggressive, but two to three thousand people. You know, 11 a.m., that's a brutal kickoff time for an Eastern team, especially when you like to tailgate like Pirate Nation does. Uh, certainly, if you win the Cincinnati game, you have a better attendance that game will be the biggest game in Dowdy Ficklin Stadium in, in years. You'll be playing for a potential conference championship at that point, uh, conference championship berth. So I would say you'll see a bump in attendance, especially with two back-to-back nationally televised wins perhaps. 
but to say that it would account for 10,000 more fans, I don't know about that. You know, it's, we got to remember the NC State game had the whole offseason for hype. You had the visiting crowd probably bring five to 7,000, and, you know, you sold it out, but Houston's not going to bring but maybe a couple hundred people at most, at most. So, you know, for me, I think a really, I, th- I think an excellent crowd for that game would be 45,000. Anything above that, you know, is incredible this late in the season. Um, but you know, you win, you win Friday, and you get a good kickoff time. Anything can happen. But I, I'm afraid if you win Friday, you could be playing at that 11 a.m. game for the reasons that I mentioned earlier, which would hurt. So, just kind of a wait and th- see thing. But certainly, you want to win the game if possible, and and the rest will take care of itself. All right, Daniel asks, "How's the defense after losing the two cornerbacks?" He's asking about Cincinnati safe to assume they're a little more susceptible to the pass game this season. Yeah, I mean, coverage-wise, pro football focus ranks them near the bottom of the country, which is a surprise. Now, ECU is down there as well, but we know that they've had issues uh, giving up some plays, especially before the last few games through the year. Cincinnati, this year, you look at their overall pass defense numbers, they're not terrible, but they have given up some plays, and they honestly haven't played too many great passing offenses uh you know the one that comes to mind is smu they played ucf but that's when john rice Plumley went out halfway through the game and and, and mikey Keene had to take over and they did hold smu to just 179 yards passing on 40 attempts so they did a really effective job uh they, they pretty much shut a, a great smu offense down that day main reason why they won at the line of scrimmage they controlled time of possession uh, they moved the chains at a good rate. They had to kick a lot of field goals in that game. But, you know, the, the biggest thing that worries me about their pass defense is, is the fact they can generate pressure, and they can do it on the edge. They can do it up the middle. Again, they got two really good defensive tackles. They got uh, the linebackers. They'll bring on blitzes. They'll bring different guys. So, I mean, this is a game where ECU has got to find a way to uh, to, to protect Cole Nailers. And if they can do that, I like some of the plays they can make downfield. You know, Indiana threw for 280. Tulsa threw for 249. Uh, UCF threw for 247. Um, you know, Arkansas threw for 223 on just 26 attempts. So there's plays to be had there. They don't give up a ton of big plays. But, you know, if you can protect and you can give Cole Nailers enough time to throw, certainly it's a lot more susceptible than it has been. But, um, it's a tough pass rush, and that's the biggest concern for me going through this game, even with ECU's pass rush, uh, pass protection, I should say, uh, improving a lot this year over last year. All right, Pirate Treasure NC, he says, who from ECU benefited, benefited the most from the bye week? Key players for Cincinnati. Key things you've seen from Cincinnati the last two weeks ECU should pay attention to. Um, I'll hit these in reverse order. So the, the players, I mean, the... The receiver for me that you got to find a way to stop is Tyler Scott, a really talented uh, pass catcher. Uh, Trey Tucker, also a, a big play receiver. Both those guys more built on speed than anything, but they can they can beat you in multiple ways. So uh, if you can find a way to take one of those guys away, then I think that'll go a long way to success. They also had the tight end, Josh Wiley, who's very effective as a pass catcher, blocker, everything, just your complete tight end. Um, defensively, I, you know, interior offensive line is going to have to bring it. You know, they have Jawan Briggs, number 18. He has, uh, he's got an 82.6 pro football focus defensive grade this year. 
and that's a you know that's over 428 snaps. His backup, Dante Corleone, a redshirt freshman, listed at I think it's six three three thirty or something like that. His backup is the highest graded defensive player, ahead of linebacker Ivan Pace Jr. Uh, Corleone comes in at 92.8 with a 92.9 run defense grade and an 84.5 pass rush grade through nine games, two in under 84 snaps. So, uh, big game for Avery Jones, Isaiah Foote, Nashad Strother. They're really going to have to be able to handle this guy. He's going to make his plays. I should say the tandem really of Briggs and Corleone. They're going to make their plays. You just got you can't let them take over the game. Um, but th- that's a major concern for me, those guys going to the game. Um, key things I've seen Cincinnati do the last few weeks watching them is, you know, they've struggled in the red zone in some in some ways to complete drives. Now, they've, they've made basically all the field goals from Ryan Coe, their kicker. But if they can, if ECU can continue to maybe bend but don't break defensively, find a way to, uh, to stop the Bearcats from scoring touchdowns, I think you'll take that in a game like this. Uh, on the road, so that's something the Pirates will want to try and replicate that other teams have had success because Cincinnati at times has moved the ball a lot offensively but has been un- unable to finish drives. So don't give up the big play, force them to kick field goals, and then defensively against Cincinnati's defense, you, you've got to be able to protect and you can't let those D-linemen take over the game. Who from ECU benefited the most from the bye? I mean, there are several guys. Holt Naylor's been dealing with a ding shoulder all year. Keaton Mitchell still probably not quite back at 100%. Uh, maybe until now, until the bye, or as close to 100% as you can get as a college running back nine games into the season. Tight end Shane Calhoun had missed the last few games. Defensive end Emmanuel Hickman had missed the last few games. I expect both them to return against Cincinnati. They are key guys. Jalen Johnson hasn't really played since South Florida due to a back injury. He did dress out against UCF, played a couple plays, but then then return to the sideline, so hopefully the week off helps him as well. But, I mean, there were so many guys dealing with bumps and bruises that weren't even reported. It was just, you know, Chad Stevens and other guys that just needed the time off. Noah Henderson, uh, Isaiah Foote. So, yeah, glad to see, you know, finally that they made it. Glad to see the bye week arrive, and I think you'll see this team benefit a lot from that open date going into the Cincinnati game. All right, Overton Window Sticker Shock asks on Twitter, what odds are there there's a Mason Garcia package this week, or is this too big a game, difficult an opponent to run it? You know, I think they've got the Garcia package in, and I'm not saying I've seen it in practice or anything, but just from they worked on it in the past, they had it last year, and I would assume they've worked on it some more, so it's probably in. But do you really want to utilize it in a game like this when Holt Naylor's is playing at such a high level? Do you really want to take Holt Naylor's off the field when he's playing at such a high level? He's a threat to run. He's a threat to pass in the red zone. I personally would not unless you feel really, really good about a specific play and a specific package working for a specific situation. Now that Garcia has basically his red shirt saved, although they'll still have to hold him out one more game, assuming there's a bowl game maybe another game if there's a conference championship. I would I would probably just wait, hold off on this week. Um, so I would put the odds at pretty low, but it certainly is possible. Certainly is possible. All right, Jackson asks, how much of a difference do you think the quarterback situations make for Cincy? 
I can think of several situations last year where we almost had Desmond Ritter, but he escaped and extended the drive. Yeah, I mean, Ritter, man, he was uh, he was something else. I mean, there was a handful of plays last year where there was initial pressure. He escaped, made plays on the run, as you mentioned, Jackson, and that was a game changer for several reasons. He made he made plays uh, through the air. He made plays on the on the ground, and I especially remember at Cincinnati in 2020 when he just gashed ECU on the ground, and they had a spot for him, and they still couldn't stop him. Now. It, it's certainly a difference, and it's, it's something you don't have to account for as much. But Ben Bryant is capable, and he's mobile enough to move in the pocket and make plays. So it's not like you don't have to account for him at all, and, and that's going to be a factor. But, you know, it's not Desmond Ritter. I don't know if Ben Bryant's an NFL draft pick. Certainly he's not going to be as high of a one as Desmond Ritter was. So I definitely think for an aggressive defense like ECU, you can kind of pin your ears back. You're not going to face the guys as athletic as Ritter or as athletic as what you've seen the past two games with Jaron Hall and with uh, John Rice Plumley. So it'll be nice to kind of face more of a pocket passer, but he can beat you with his arm. And if he's accurate and he's feeling it, he's he's as good as anybody in the conference is throwing the football. But uh, certainly I think overall a little bit less to worry about there compared to past years. All right, let's take a quick break. We got a few more questions on Twitter. Regarding Cincinnati, we'll be right back. You're listening to the Hoist the Colors podcast. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast introducing the two-way v4 where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance with fuel cell each step feels explosive delivering unparalleled energy return paired with fresh foam experience maximum comfort throughout the game its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition the two-way v4 gives you the tools to play at a high level learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com all right, welcome back into the Hoist the Colors podcast. We're rolling right along. ECU Cincinnati taking an early look, diving into the Bearcats, what to expect this Friday night. Uh, tweet BPIL, BP3 on Twitter asks, do they blitz often? He's speaking of Cincinnati, or do they tend to rely on their defensive front for pressure? 
Do you expect them to try to pull a UCF and leverage their talent at corner to shut down our receivers a man, or will we see more of BYU strategy and sell out on preventing the big pass play? You know, great question. Uh, typically, looking at their games this year and looking at some of the numbers, they're blitzing about 25 to 30% of the time. There's been a few games they've crossed the over 30% mark as far as blitzing. So, you know, they're a little, they're, they're probably right around a little below average to average as far as blitz rate compared to most teams in the country. And so they do opt to rely on their defensive front to create a lot of those pressures and for good reason. You know, they do create a lot of those pressures. They do send the linebackers on some blitzes. They'll, when they do blitz, they'll, they'll be pretty exotic with it. So they mix up coverages a lot. Uh, they do a lot of things defensively. They'll mix up some of their fronts. They'll slide one of their outside linebackers down to rush off the edge. They do a lot of different things. So it's not as simple as, hey, let's rush three or let's rush four. They'll mix up their looks, their fronts, their coverages. And so they do a lot of different things. They do tend to play more coverage. And they'll play man, but they they do like to play the safety uh, over the top for extra help, uh, more so than just go, you know, zero uh, you know, as far as zero help coverage, as far as the safety. So they, they do tend to drop at least one one high safety back, uh, and they do play some some two-man as well. So it just depends. If you can get the other safety in the box, you can get the run game going, then obviously you're going to be able to make them commit another safety to the run game, which gives you more things to do in the air uh, down the field if you can get the running game going early, which is why it's no team wants to allow the opposition to run the football early in a football game. But, uh, yeah, to answer your question, they don't blitz a ton, but they do blitz exotic pressures. Ivan Pace, as I mentioned earlier, over 40 pressures as a linebacker. That is a ton. You know, no ECU defensive player has, I believe, over 15 pressures uh, or 20. So this guy, when he comes, he's getting home. I think he's blitzed 110 times, and he's pressured 40-something times, which is an incredible rate. And so ECU needs to know where he's at all the time on the field and uh, it'll be interesting to see how ECU combats that. Do they keep an extra tight end? You know, do they keep the back end to block more times than not? Do they, you know, rely on Aaron Jarman, who's probably their best blocking tight end a little more, you know, we'll just have to see on Friday night, how they decide to play it. Uh, D Pat says any players that are newly available this weekend that were able to recuperate over the bye week, you know, the one to watch there is, is Jalen Johnson, We'll continue to monitor his situation. I'll be out of practice later today on Tuesday. We'll see if he's back, and I'll post something on the board. If so, you know, we'll see how that transpires. Uh, I would expect Emmanuel Hickman and Shane Calhoun to be back after missing the last few games. They were dressed at BYU. You know, you got two more weeks to recover. I think they'll at least be back in a limited situation. That gives you more depth at tight end and defensive end. And, you know, Chad Stevens has been playing a bunch of snaps at end. You could really use Emmanuel Hickman back. In some capacity, and also Ryan Jones has been playing a lot of tight ends. So so every every player counts in a game like this. And um, those would be the main guys I would watch as far as injuries. Uh, he also asked, will we start to see ECU use redshirted players with only four to five games left in the season, manifesting a conference championship appearance, he says, with the five games. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's possible, you know. But, uh, you know, the, the more I look at the guys who are redshirting, you know, I just don't know. They're already playing a lot of people, so it's not like you just want to force somebody in in games that are, are crucial. 
you know, maybe if you lose this game uh, and you're not playing for a conference championship, you start to work in guys like Garcia, like Brock Spalding, um, you know, other guys like that that potentially could use the reps. But if you keep winning and these games become more important, I think you just continue to roll with the older guys. So I think a lot of it depends week to week what happens right now. I do think Brock Spalding's a guy, if he can get back healthy, is a little banged up right now. Could be a guy you could see in the slot at some point this year. It'll be interesting to see what they do with Sam Danka, uh, the the freshman outside linebacker. He's played special teams the past three games. He's been one of their better special teams players, but do you want to use a whole year of eligibility on that, or do you want to get him the experience and continue to play him there, maybe play him some at outside linebacker down the stretch? So they got to make a decision on Danka. Um, There's a few other guys, Isaiah Brown-Murray, that could play in a game or two. And, um, you know, a few others, maybe Jacob Saker on the offensive line. But more than not, I think you're just going to see the the normal cast out there given what's at stake. Uh, Drew Baum asks, can we please get an explanation for the lack of offensive creativity? You know, I mean, this offense is basically doing what most teams in college football do. You know, I, I think it's a top. 20 offense right now in terms of yards I mean I do wish they were scoring more points maybe we could see a little bit more creativity in the red zone but right now the offense is delivering the goods I mean they're, they the last three games the last two games they've scored when it's counted they put up 34 a season high on UCF which has been a really good defense all season long uh, they drove the ball consistently at BYU a tough place to play they scored a ton of points on Memphis, some of that coming in overtime, understand that. You know, there's still some consistency at times with, with the offense, but for the most part, the offense has not been an issue uh, of late. And so as far as offensive creativity and it lacking, well, the first play of the BYU game was supposed to be an end around or some sort of trick play to Josiah Hatfield, but you fumble the snap. So sometimes when you get creative or you botch the snap, sometimes you get creative, you can outcute yourself when – if you're just running the ball at will like ECU was on BYU or making plays in the passing game, sometimes you don't need to outsmart yourself. Now, this could be a game where Cincinnati has enough pass rush up front to where if they're over-pursuing or they're doing some things, maybe you see some more screen game, maybe you see uh, something to slow down those pass rushers depending on how the game is is playing out. Because this is a game where talent-wise, you're going to have your hands full up front and you may have to scheme around some things. Um, and this will be more of a, you know, a fair test for how, how you come up with something like that. You know, there's only so much you can do when you're getting uh, handled in the trenches, but hopefully the offensive line comes to play, and certainly they know the tasks they're up against. But, yeah, I mean, offensive creativity, I know people want to give Donnie Kirkpatrick a hard time, and I get it. The offense has been, you know, frustratingly inconsistent for a while now, for, for multiple years, but lately they've delivered the goods, and uh, we'll, we'll continue to, to see what happens there against one of their better defenses uh, they, they will face this season. Uh, and lastly, Jason Stone asks, is a bear cat more bear or more cat? Thanks. You know, uh, we get this question pretty much every time ECU plays Cincinnati. What the hell is a bear cat? I still don't really know. I did Google what is a bear cat, and apparently there is something called a binturong. According to Wikipedia, it says the Bentarong, also known as the Bearcat, is a varied, some sort of fur mammal native to South and Southeast Asia. 
It is uncommon in much of its range and has been assessed as vulnerable to the IUCN red list because of a declining population trend that is estimated at more than 30% since the mid-1980s. The bearcat is the only living species in the genus Arcticus. So I have no clue what I'm even reading right now. Either way, what is a bearcat? If you go to the Cincinnati website, it explains how they came up with the name bearcat. It was born on October 31st, 1914. The occasion was a football game with the University of Kentucky Wildcats, a star University of Cincinnati player named Bear, B-A-E-H-R, a creative cheerleader, and a talented cartoonist during the second half of that hard-fought football game, uh, a UC cheerleader building on the efforts of fullback Leonard K. Teddy Bear created the chant, they may be Wildcats, but we have a bear cat on our side. The crowd took up the cry, come on, bear cat. Cincinnati won the game 14-7, was memorialized in a cartoon published on the front page of the student newspaper on November 3rd. The cartoon by John Reese depicted a bedraggled Kentucky Wildcat being chased by a creature labeled the Cincinnati Bearcats. The name stuck, but not immediately. Following Teddy Bear's graduation in 1916, the name dropped out of use and then was reinstated basically in 1919. And yeah, so uh, that it is. Cincinnati Bearcat. That's how it was born for those that care. And then it also has a section say, what is a Bearcat? Um, it says that the word first appeared 1889 as a synonym for a giant panda. Bearcat is a simple translation of the Chinese word for panda, zong, mao, which means bearcat. All right. There's your history lesson. And quite frankly, um, I still don't really know what a bearcat is. So uh, I hope that helped a little bit because it didn't really help me. I don't even really know what I'm, what I'm reading. Um, it does say that Lucy the Bearcat was a live mascot that cheered on Cincinnati and can now be seen at the Cincinnati Zoo. And so I guess if you're in Cincinnati, you're on the road trip, and you have nothing to do, you want to see what a bearcat is, head to the Cincinnati Zoo and uh, check out Lucy. But that's all I got for you. And that's all I got on this podcast. Man, what a downturn we, we finished on. That was that was poor. That was a uh, – but, hey, you asked the question. We're trying to give you the goods here on the Hoisty Colors podcast. Uh, but that'll do it. Again, just want to provide an initial look at the Cincinnati Bearcats. Heading to Minji's Coliseum here shortly, heading to football practice. Got a busy evening here on this Tuesday. We'll be back with a podcast later in the week leading into Friday's game. Until then, uh, thank you guys for listening to the HGC podcast. Check us out at hostcoverage.net. We'll talk to you next time.
When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen.